Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Howdy. I'm Ben Solak, and this is the Ringer NFL Show. I am joined today by the Honorable Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, say hi to the people. Hello, people. And today we are doing the second half of a two-parter. Last week, you heard us talk about the future of NFL offenses. Today, we're talking about the future of NFL defenses. If you haven't listened to the first episode, stop. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. You got to go back and listen, because we'll spend a lot of today's pod responding to what we outlined in last week's show. What are the prevailing strategies for NFL defenses today, and what might they look like in a few years? Today on the Ringer NFL Show, the future of NFL defenses. Steven, I feel like offense was easy, and defense is going to be hard. I just like talking about the meta for league offense is simple because offenses choose what they can do. Talking about the meta for defense is trickier because defenses don't get to choose what they do to a degree because they have to react to offenses. And, and because defense is a lot more responsive, the responses are a lot more varied. There are a lot, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of different shades of gray. And so when I like started like trying to like figure out my families, like my buckets of guys and who does what, I felt like I was totally in a mess for a long time. Much more challenging on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think it's made more challenging by where we think the future of offense is going. I thought like five years ago, for instance, or like after that first year Patrick Mahomes started, I thought it was easier to see where NFL defenses were going just because there was so much borrowing from the college game. So you could just look down at the college game, see what defenses did to combat that and then kind of translate that to the NFL. There's not really a, a college analog to what's going on, like where we think offense is heading right now. Like we're not seeing the under center Kyle Shanahan stuff and we're not seeing like the more complicated run game out of those traditional pro style looks. And it's hard to figure out how NFL defenses are going to answer that because you don't have that college example. Now, there, there are certainly some overlaps to like where the NFL is going on offense and where the college has gone. And I think the one... The one meta that stands stands out to me is just getting more complicated. And we covered this on the, the Bengals and Bills pod. This was like the first pod we did. But I think that's the answer. It's not like specific stuff. It's like you need to have more answers on defense. And what those answers are, I think, is what we're going to get into in this podcast. Yeah, I think fundamentally, I, I couldn't agree more. Like the, 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 the billboard to plaster at the top of this pod is like the future of NFL defenses 
do a lot more. Figure it out. <laughs> you got it. There's a lot going on out here, brother. And you're going to have to have a ton of solutions to a ton of problems with different personnel. And that's why this gets tricky is because meta conversations, where where's the league right now? Where's it going? Are about generalizing. And defense is about specific guys. Spe- specificing. Getting more specifying. Specifying. <laughs> is that a word? Is that really it? Like I don't specifying? know. Specifying. Yeah, that's a word. Is it specifying? Okay. It was one of those things where, like in my head, I was like, "Is this right?" Like I don't know if this is a word. I don't know if I'm making it up. So getting more specific, specifying, uh, and that makes this this conversation more challenging. But let's get our teeth into it. We started the offensive pod with uh, a overview of the establishment. We'll start the defensive pod in the same way. Uh, Steven. How many defensive coordinators can you name that have had their job since at least the 2020 season? Uh, like three, maybe two. I don't know. Who, who is it? Let's hear it. Uh, damn, I might have just set myself up for <laughs> failure uh, with the same team. Same team have had the have had their job as the defensive play caller for that team for at least since at least 2020. Uh, Lou, big Lou, obviously. Big Lou. Uh, that's it. That's all. No, Specs, Specs. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's There's all. I one got. more. There's okay, one more. Okay. It's a disgu- It's a disgusting one. It's a very sad one. Gus Bradley. No, because Gus has been on a couple different teams. Jack Del Rio with the Washington oh, no. Commanders. <laughs> just reprehensible. Just terrible. Had the has had the job since 2020. Worth remarking. Washington fifth in the league last year. In EPA per play allowed defensively. Wow. Jack DeRio. DVOA. Ninth. Wow. Jack. Definitely checks a lot of boxes for me and what I wanted a defensive coordinator. <laughs> that's, a reference to, that's a reference to a joke that got cut from an episode a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Jack Del Rio has had the job now for the last three seasons. Now, obviously, there's some exceptions to this, right? Like, I, I, I came in expecting DC to be more stable than offensive coordinator, and it really isn't in terms of, like, guy holding down job for multiple years. But you have your Bill Belichick, who's obviously been running that defense for decades. Todd Bowles and Dennis Allen are, are kind of similar, right? They're both uh, uh, previous head coaches, previous DCs. They were DCs in Tampa Bay and New Orleans, respectively, for a long time, and have since become head coaches. You can kind of put like Mike Vrabel and Pete Carroll also into this bucket. They're like, they are defensive coaches who have been the head coaches of their teams for a while, but they've also had like a bunch of different DCs under them, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily have as like strong of an influence over the defense that their team runs relative to like a Belichick and Allen or a Bulls. And so there's head coaches who have a defensive background who've been around for forever. Mike Tomlin's another one. You do have, and I think this is the important group for our conversation, guys who have been DCs forever at a bunch of different places, right? This is your Vance Joseph, who's been a DC or a head coach since 2016. Dan Quinn has been a DC or a head coach since 2013. Vic Fangio has been a DC or a head coach every year since 2011, save for last year where he was just vibing with the Eagles, going to a Super Bowl, fixing Jonathan Gannon. Love you, Uncle Vic. Uh, Dan, uh, Gus Bradley has been a DC or a head coach every year since 2009. Love that. 14 years running for Big Gus. Seahawks 09 to 12, Jags 13 to 16, Chargers 17 to 20, Raiders in 21, and then the Colts uh, in 2022 and 2023. Jim Schwartz has pretty much been doing it since 2001. He was with the Titans, Lions, Bills, Eagles, did the Titans thing for the last couple of years and is now with the Browns. Uh, those guys, Wink Martindale, Robert Sala, that's pretty much your like establishment NFL defensive play callers. These are the dudes who've been doing it for a while. They just tend to bounce around to a bunch of different teams, take a head coaching job, fail at that head coaching job, and then go back to calling the defense somewhere else. Your last group is your like guys who have had weird careers and so it's tough to figure out. That's your Brian Flores's who Flores could have been like the fourth longest tenured head defensive head coach in the league if the Dolphins didn't <laughs> actively attempt to hire Tom Brady as a QB slash owner and then collude and also he hated Tua and that whole nonsense. But anyway, he's been doing this for several seasons. Same is true of Raheem Morris, who was an interim head coach and then was the defensive coordinator under Dan Quinn and became the wide receivers coach. And that was weird for a little bit. Now he's with the Rams as the DC and Steve Wilkes has been around and just left for college for a year. So a lot of names, but in general, we have, I think, a good body of like establishment guys, guys who we've seen do work for the last five, six, seven plus years. When I throw all these names out just at you, Stephen, Firstly, I think we, we can note right away, there's not really a lot of cohesive trees, which is something that we talked about a few episodes ago, why Bill Belichick's coaching tree sucks. There's like a bunch of Carroll guys 
and uh, two Patriots dudes. And that's kind of it, right? There's not really like a good established tree here that's like, oh, all of these guys went on to be super successful besides Carol's group. They've all just hung around for a while. So no tree. But if there's no tree, what's connecting these guys for you? How are you grouping these guys? How are you understanding these guys? See all of these names. Who to you are, are meta definers? Who defines the league meta and how do they define it? I think it's similar to the scale we use for offenses. I'm not going to use some like strained soccer metaphor, but I'll just use Bill Belichick's terminology. He, he'll refer to teams as like a game plan defense, and he doesn't really have a name for the other thing. But the other side is like, think of like Pete Carroll, Legion of Boom Seahawks. We're playing cover three. We're playing an underfront cover three every down. This is our system. We're just going to be really good at doing a little bit, of, a few things. And hopefully it matches up well with what the defense or the offense does. And then on the other end, there's the Bill Belichick who can change his game plan every week and will change his game plan every week. One week, it might be a lot of odd front. The next week, it might be even front, might be four, three, might be three, four the next week, man coverage, zone coverage, all that stuff. Like it depends on the opponent. So those are the two ends I put them at. And I think guys fall in at different spots like Dan, not Dan Quinn, uh, Gus Bradley. It's very, very hard to keep all these former Seahawks bald guys. Exactly. I need I need I need somebody to have unique hair. Robert Sala, <laughs> Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn. I need somebody to pull out a toupee. Help a brother out. I just cannot keep him straight. If, if Gus Bradley starts calling cover three with like a fedora on, at least wear a hat, something like that. <laughs> I, I can see Gus Bradley being a fedora guy. I'm thinking of Brian's hat, like the Tim Robinson sketch where he's got the hat with the safari flaps. I can see Gus Bradley rocking that. But yeah, I would put Gus Bradley on like the extreme end. Like I'm playing cover three, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Patrick Mahomes playing the shit. And then I'd put Bill Belichick on the other end. And then you could like kind of figure out where guys fit in. But that's how I would separate them. Yeah. Now, uh, Dan Quinn, Gus Bradley, Jim Schwartz, Wink Martindale, Robert Sala, like Vance Joseph, like all of those dudes I just named right there are all like guys who've been DCing for like six plus years, seven plus years for a long, long time. I would categorize all those guys as lineup and play it guys. Like mm -hmm. Martindale's whole thing is like, hey, guess what? <laughs> We're blitzing. Here we go, baby. <laughs> We're living. Uh, Robert Sala, it's like, oh, I don't run the Seattle stuff. I run quarters. Yeah, but you do it all the time. Like you are four down rush and then play with seven behind. You'll change the look of the coverage. It, but it, it's still the Seattle stuff. Like uh, it, there is a, yeah. I don't, have you listened to the, the play callers podcast yet? Uh, I, I, I'm very excited to, this is the play callers podcast. It's produced by the athletic football show. Jordan and Rodriguez interviewed a bunch of the guys we talked about in the offensive play caller saying like McDaniel and Shannon and McBay. I have it downloaded. For, I'm I got to drive back from Canada tomorrow, 11 hours. I got to download it for that. But there's a there's like a part where uh, they're talking about like Sala and uh, Kyle kind of like clashing initially and having these battles in practice. And like there's a point where Kyle's like, wait, it's not quarters. It's just all cover three. Like you're still doing the same stuff. And he's and it sounds like, yeah, we're still doing the same Seattle right. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you have so right. All those guys. And then even Vic Fangio, who Vic's a little bit different. And I think we need to talk about why Vic is so important in, in a yeah. second here. But all of those guys are just kind of line up and play guys, which is interesting because I came into this really confident that I was going to emphatically champion, be versatile, do different stuff, have different arrows in your quiver, have different pitches in your bag. You have to be able to react to situations. And then you see a lot of these establishment dudes and a lot of them are just, hey, we play our stuff. We do our thing. And you're not going to catch me defending Gus Bradley real quick. Like the Gus Bradley defenses have not performed super well. So it's not to say, oh, the league just keeps hiring Gus Bradley, which means he's good. No, I think you can probably, Gus could improve his system and you can probably improve on your DC over Gus Bradley. But in general, there is a comfort and a value to saying, all right, we, we run this. We know this. Offenses might know the the weak points, but so do we. And we know the sort of body types that we can get to, to, to make the system go. And we know the coverage checks that we can call to try to hide those weak points. And there there is a comfort in running that system, knowing it inside and out, and living with some of the, the, the Achilles heels of it, living with some of the weak points. Relative to some guys who try to like have an enormous menu, solve a ton of problems, put a ton of stuff off the field and end up like overloading their defense and being too heavy for it. One of the guys I'm thinking of here is Brandon Staley with the Chargers, where like I think less so last year, but more so in his first year, like Staley came and tried to run a ton of stuff. And it was like, whoa, like you don't, you, your, your players don't have this. 
yet. Like they don't have their 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 arms around it. They don't have an understanding of it. They they mentally they're not there yet. Like you you are putting a lot on their plate on a week to week basis, and it's overwhelming them. Like if a coach were on this podcast, he would use the phrase like "play fast." That's what coaches like. Coaches say, like we, we we play fast on defense. They're basically saying we keep things simple so our guys can just make decisions and go, and then we try to win those one on one plays and one on one opportunities. There's always going to be some wisdom to that. And I think it's important to acknowledge that before you and I inevitably go in on how much we want defenses to be versatile and how much we want them to change. Yeah, I I think like what you need in a defense kind of changes based on what offenses are doing. I think that's why we're going to end up championing these guys that do a little bit more. But also the other part of running that just line up and play defense is it's really hard in that you need talent. Like, you can't run the Seattle-style defense without a pass rush. That's why the 49ers' defense was terrible until they were able to build up the best defensive line in the NFL. And it takes a lot of losing. It takes a lot of top 10 picks, and it takes a lot of Mm -hmm. money to shell out to get those. So there's no answer. There's no, like, oh, this is the best way to do it. I think it's the same on offense, where if you could run a simple offense, like, it's probably the best thing in the world to run. And, like, there's, like, this it's kind of paradoxical or even counterintuitive when you think about it. Like there is some mystery in running a defense where you just line up and play and you have the same looks every time. Like there is some mystery to that. Like for instance, if we're playing a lot of man coverage and we want Darrell Revis to track uh, Justin Jefferson, I don't know why I'm like switching errors, but if he's following him all over the field, like when he follows him across the field and gets ends up, ends up in a weird area, you're like, oh, they're playing man coverage. Like that's why he's following him. If you're playing against like the Seattle style of defense and Justin Jefferson goes in motion from like the right side to the left side and Richard Sherman stays on the right side, you're like, well, they do that every time. It could be man. It could be zone. We don't really know. So right. there are drawbacks and there are positives for, for both styles. I don't think there's any one that's right. I think you have to fit it to what your personnel is. And that's just the, the nature of defense. Like you, This is a quote that I brought up a couple times in season. Uh, Brandon Staley at the 2021, I want to say, combine saying – the, the fun thing about the NFL, like when you're playing defense, you do what you have to do. You don't do what you want to do because you can't do what you want to do because you don't necessarily have the personnel to do it. Mm-hmm. I think a good example last year, and we we had a, a bit of a debate on the pod about the Vikings defense where I was oh saying my like, gosh. people were clamoring. How is, for, how is Ed Donatel getting a mention in this podcast? <laughs> in the future defense because he's the future, buddy. Uh, <laughs> try and keep up. Uh, but they were playing a bunch of zone because they didn't have the guys to play man coverage. You want to ask 40-year-old Patrick Peterson to play man coverage against some of the best receivers in the NFL? It's not going to happen. So I think that's like a key point is like you could look at some fancy defense that some team is running, but they have the personnel to do it. And like your defensive coordinator is just trying his best. He's 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 making do with what he's got. Yeah. So I want to I want to highlight something you said here as we transition to talking about Vic Fangio, because I think the defining individual of the NFL meta of the last like three, four years is Vic Fangio. And once you once you widen it to be like more than that on the defense side of the ball, it's Belichick. And you can't argue it's not Belichick. But we're going to start with 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 Vic. Uh, You brought up the like the ability to just kind of line up and play and how we're lined up is how we're lined up we could be doing a ton of different things from this look and we're going to change how we look post-snap. We're not going to react to you pre-snap. We're not going to change how we look pre-snap to give you information. We're going to change it at the snap. We are going to rotate post-snap. That idea is the single most valuable idea of a Vic Fangio defense, right? When yeah. Fangio started to become successful, uh, Bears DC from 2015, or, or excuse me, he was the Bears DC 2015-2016. He was the Broncos head coach for the late 2010, uh, 20- tens and then obviously had his year off and is now with the, the Dolphins. When Fangio really started to be successful, he was successful because he was the guy taking away the McVay offense, taking away the Shanahan offense. He was the best defensive response to this blossoming, burgeoning, incredible offense in the 2016, 2017, 2018. Uh, everyone remembers the Super Bowl in which Bill Belichick just sat on Jared Goff and the Rams offense. Super Bowl 20, 50, what? 51, 52? There's no way of knowing. Uh, but Belichick got that game plan and got those those pictures from a Vic Fangio primetime game in which the Rams offense, which has been like 35 points, 38 points, 31 points, 34 points, six. And it was that that that, that sudden game against the Bears. The reason why post-snap rotation was so valuable, was so critical, was because, we brought this up on, on the offensive show, McVay's offense was asking Jared Goff to turn his back to the defense. Under center play action means the quarterback changes, uh, turns his back to the defense, 
cannot see what they are doing for a second, a second and a half as he executes the play fake. Shanahan at this time was still doing a lot of that stuff as well. Well, Vic said, all right, if you're going to chair in your back, I'm going to use that one, one and a half second, cause some problems. And so mm-hmm. Vic's lining up in a ton of two high coverages, right? Initially pre-snap, both of the safeties are, are, are deep. There's not a single safety sitting in center field. That's what we'd call a single high coverage. But there are two safeties looking like cover two, looking like quarters, each kind of sitting just a little bit outside the hashes at equal depth. And when that under center play action fake comes, one of those safeties is going to drive down, become a linebacker, become a run fitter, become an underneath zone defender. Another one of those safeties is going to sink back and he's going to become a deep zone defender. You don't know which one it's going to be. And so now, now we're changing who rotates where. And that allows us to, to okay, like, all right, if, we, if we're worried about the over route coming from the right side, then we'll drop the right safety so we can leave the left safety there. And if we're worried about it from the other side, we can switch the guys. It also allows you to not drop one of those safeties and just leave both of them back there. So you now can rotate from two high to one high and change the look for Jared Goff when he turns back to the defense. Or you can do that a few times. Goff's like, all right, they're changing the look, changing the look. And then you come in, it's the same. And he's, he thought he was a step ahead of you. You were two steps ahead of him. So the rotation that Vic Fangio introduced from playing two high coverages became really, really important. Now, defensive coaches, everyone will tell you, we don't want to be in two high coverages on early downs, right? We don't want to be in two high systems on early downs because we're taking a body out of the box. That second safety, that two high player, is a linebacker, is a, is a nickel corner we're taking out of the run fit. Now we don't have enough guys to play the box, right? And when we, when we talk about Jim Schwartz and, and Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, uh, we're talking about coaches who want to have enough players in the box to stop the run on first and 10. If you have six blockers, five offensive linemen and a tight end, I want seven guys in the box, one for each blocker, and then plus one for the running back, right? I'm going to be plus one in the box. I'm going to have enough dudes in the box. But Vic, Vic decided, listen, I'm going to take that extra guy out of the box and try to solve running game problems with stunts and blitzes and defensive line games and two gapping and some creative solutions. And if I give up a five yard run instead of a three yard run, then I do that, whatever, you know what I'm saying? But I need this second body to stop the 15-plus yard play action pass, the 20-plus yard play action pass. That's the real thing I want to stop. That line right there, I'm going to defend the pass at the expense of stopping the run. I'm going to play too high and take the actual body of the box. That became the tagline for the Vic Fangio defense because of Brandon Staley's success with the Rams and because of the subsequent years that came and Staley's playing all these super light boxes and and the running game renaissance, whatever. That became the tagline. It's still a critical part of it, right? You have to understand when you're playing too high, you're taking a body out of the box. But I think the correct tagline of the Vic Fangio defense would be, I'm rotating my safeties post-snap. I'm rotating my safeties at or immediately after the snap. And that's going to screw with your cut with your receivers checks. It's going to screw with your quarterback's perspective. It's going to punish you for using play action where the quarterback turns back to the defense. That's the real tagline. And when I think about how Vic Fangio has defined NFL defensive meta, that's how I think about him. Yeah, I think it's been like a fight. I think like the tagline for the next couple of years and it, this changes so rapidly. So it might only be like one or two years, but I think the tagline for the next couple of years is like the fight for the first half second of a snap. I think that's what you're seeing. Like that's where you're seeing like the tension between offenses and defenses mm-hmm. and play callers. And I think like one of the, one of the ways that they've combated like Vic Fangio's kind of holding the cards close to his chest until the snap is the mo- the use of motion. I think that has been the answer. That's been the substitute for play action. And when you do, when you like, if you send Tyree Kill, you're playing too high safety. You're sending Ty- Tyree Kill from one side of the formation to the other side on a fast motion. He's sprinting across. And right when he gets into a position, two is going to call hike. Like you can't rotate to that because it's Tyree Kill and he's going to burn your safety and it's going to look embarrassing for you. So like you rotate your you pre rotate your safeties before the snap because you have to just because of the stress that that motion is uh, putting on your defense. So I think that's one of the benefits. And I think one of the answers that you're going to need to see defensive coordinators have is answers for motion and and being able to still hide and disguise your defense while answering those motions. And I thought a great example of this is the Chargers Dolphins Sunday night game from last year, oh, where classic, where you did like a video on this too, but like Staley had had answers for the motion. He had he had answers, multiple answers, and it it messed up that offense. It really disrupted their flow because they couldn't get to the things they were usually getting to because that that motion wasn't serving the function that it had for Tua for the first, whatever, 12 weeks of the season. Yeah, and it's funny because McDaniel's also putting two in the gun so he doesn't have to turn his back, right? Keep his eyes up. So two is keeping his eyes up. The entire time his eyes are up, he's staring directly at a corner 
who's in beautiful position to cover his route, beautiful position to cover his first read. And then he just yeets the first read anyway, because he just is not used to seeing this, right? And it, it's a similar impact to the one that Fangio had on Goff, where it's like, I, I'm looking at this and I know it's wrong, but I'm still just going to throw it because it's been right for the last 10 weeks. How did it become wrong all of a sudden? You kind of get a QB to short circuit. You, you, you expose the fact that he doesn't know what to do next, right? He's been relying on this crutch for too long. All right, we got to let ads uh, we gotta let uh, those advertisements they're gonna say their taglines and then we're gonna come back this episode is brought to you by state farm there's no better feeling than a personal win and the state farm personal price plan can help you do just that talk to a state farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan like a good neighbor state farm is there Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so that I think is Vic and a little bit of a dash of Staley, which like Staley, I think, is a bit of a bridge for us in terms of getting from the old heads to the new heads. The... uh. If Fangio and Staley kind of represent the uh, renaissance of, 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 not renaissance of too high, but the the increase of too high, right? True media has numbers going back for the last four years. Middle of the field open coverages, which are too high coverages, were being played at 32% of all snaps in 2019. Then it went to 35% in 2020, 37% in 21, 38% last year. It's been going up for the last four seasons. It's probably going to plateau around 40. I think it's probably going to keep going up for a little bit. Um but we're probably getting closer to like what that actual correct balance is supposed to be. So if 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 Staley and and Fangio kind of represent that, the blitzing conversation, I think, is represented by Don Martindale, who's the ex defensive coordinator of the Ravens, and Mike McDonald, who's the current defensive coordinator of the Ravens, who previously worked for Martindale. Uh, blitzing numbers right which we have a lot more of tend to just like kind of like vacillate over time right like there's 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 not so much of a of a, of a clear trend here so much as there's just like year over year nonsense but you were seeing pretty much all dropbacks blitzed 27 28 29 of the time for most seasons until 2021 when that number dropped to 25 percent, and last year it was still 25 percent. there was a little bit of a drop off in blitzing over the last couple of years this is something i wrote about in the middle of the 2021 season, after Patrick Mahomes played like a couple of really good defenses, Buffalo, he played Cincinnati. No, he didn't play Cincinnati. He played Buffalo, Chargers, I want to say it was. He played the yeah, Staley's defense for the first time. And then he played the Ravens defense at the time coached by Martindale. And Martindale, all right, I did not let Wink Martindale blitz. You got to like put a muzzle on a guy. You got to like, you got to, you got you to gotta lock him in a room somewhere and just keep the headset away from him. This is he was blitzing at on over fifty percent of dropbacks while he was at his heyday as the as the DC of the Ravens. He blitzed Mahomes like three times in the second half, just in, in, unbelievable. Leslie Frazier, the DC of the Bills, when he played Mahomes in twenty twenty one, it was the first game of his entire career as a DC, which was a long career in which he did not blitz once. Teams stopped blitzing elite quarterbacks starting in 2021. Like, that's a generalization. They were still doing it. And there's still some guys who are bad against it. You could get them for it. But in general, you saw bl- elite quarterbacks not get blitzed as much. The Ravens moved on from Martindale and hired Mike McDonald. And one of the big changes that you saw in how that defense worked was, especially for the first half of the year, they were really, really, really reticent to blitz. They just wanted to live with a four-down rush. They wanted to live with seven in coverage, get those extra bodies in coverage, help you stop the pass. Then the Ravens kind of realized that like, oh, like we thought like, you know, David Ojabo come back from injury and Tyus Bowser and, and Odafe Owe, who's our first round pick from last year. We thought we we're going to have enough in the pass rush and we just don't like we just don't have enough dynamic pass rush ability off the edge. We have to start creating blitzes. And so they, they ran some simulated pressures. Simulated pressures are cool. They're basically four man rushes, 
but one of the four guys is not a defensive lineman. So you're like three defensive linemen and a linebacker's coming on like a blitz, quote unquote, while one of the defensive linemen is dropping into coverage. So you still get the benefits of a blitz, sending a surprising player, while also still getting seven in coverage, which is what these modern DCs really, really want. So the Ravens started doing that a little bit. And I think that blitzing conversation is important because one, the quarterbacks aren't going to stop being elite. They're also not going to stop running, right? Quarterback mobility is, is here to stay. And when you blitz, you really live on a, on, on, on a, on a razor-thin margin where like, yeah, you could get him. And if you get him, that's sick. But if you don't, this cat's going to kill you. I mean, like Mahomes is, is, against the blitz is like the greatest quarterback that ever existed times 10. Uh, like Aaron Rodgers against the blitz, Josh Allen against the blitz with their arms, with their legs. Like These guys dominate the blitz. And so in general, I think you're going to see blitzing numbers go down. This serves as a reminder of how these Dan Quinns and these uh, Gus Bradleys and, and these Jim Schwartzes have been doing this for so long. Robert Sala, four-man rush, man. Like, I, I, there is no way you can do a league meta conversation on defense without sitting down and going, okay, if you can rush with four and win with the defense line, just do that, do that forever and never do anything else. <laughs> if you can't, you got to solve a ton of problems. But man, oh man, the panacea, the, the skeleton key, the cure for all ills is just dominate with a four-down rush. Ask the Eagles, ask the Niners, ask the Cowboys, ask the Jets, ask whomever you like. If you can rush with four, you're going to be a good defense. If you're not going to rush, if you can't rush with four, you're going to have problems to solve. Yeah, like you or I might be able to call a top 15 defense if you give us a, an elite defensive line. Uh, that's not true. We would we would run the worst defense in the <laughs> NFL by far. Uh, but uh, I think you're right. I think teams are kind of coming to that same conclusion, as you said, like you could see with the blitz numbers dropping, but also teams also are self-aware and they realize I don't have Nick Bosa and I don't have uh, Michael Parsons. I don't have uh, Hassan Reddick. I don't have all these guys. I don't have this deep stable of pass rushers. So I got to figure out how to get pressure with a four-man rush when I don't have those guys. And that's where the creativity comes in. That's where those simulated mm -hmm. pressures you're talking about come in. And I think one utility with those simulated pressures is the run game also. And I thought that's what, like we saw a, a moment in the Chargers season last year where they were like one of the worst defenses in the league. And then over the last half of the season, they were one of the best defenses in the league. And I thought the major change that Brandon Staley made, which is kind of impressive considering his whole thing was like, we're going to play too high and we're going to like, he, he has this quote where he's like, it takes a lot of four to five yard runs to equal a 40 yard pass. And like, that's our philosophy. And that's why we give up the runs. I think he came to the realization that like, yeah, that's true. But if I run for four to five yards on first down on second down, I can now run play action. And it's a little easier to hit that 40 yard pass. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that was like the, the disconnect that he was missing, but I thought he, he improved over the second half of the season by calling more simulated pressures, by calling more blitzes or more pressures with zone behind it, not like all out zero Wink Martindale blitzes, but zone pressures to stop the run game. And he was getting into different fronts post snap. So it was, it was kind of like disguising your coverages and kind of like the secret to the success of the Fangio stuff that you laid out, but in mm -hmm. the run game now, now he, yep. you're like, you're thinking, oh, I'm seeing an overfront. You don't need to know what an overfront is. Like, that's just a type of front. Before the snap, it's like, these are the types of runs we like against an overfront. But after the snap, like, the linebacker would plug the A gap immediately, and a guy would, like, stun over to the C gap, and it would turn mm -hmm. into, like, a 3-4 bear front after the snap. And all of a sudden, that run that you call the, against the overfront is going up against the bear front, and it doesn't work anymore. So I, I think that's where Staley kind of evolved. And that's like the beauty of the simulated pressures is not only can you, you know, get the the blitz effect on a quarterback in the pass game, but you can fool the the offense in the run game. Yeah, I think that when it was 2010 and we were all just lining up with enough bodies to win against the run, right? They got six blockers. We have seven guys to stop the run. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, second and seven, right? That was all well and good. Now you enter a too high world and you have to come up with creative solutions in the running game. And I think the, the summary for like, how do I solve a running game problem on first and 10 when I'm in too high coverage? The summary is this. I want to show them an open B gap and then take it away at the snap. The B gap is the gap between the guard and the tackle. And I don't know 
Like every single run in the entire world wants to hit the B gap. The B gap is everything, right? Yes. It's just, yeah. this is, if we can get the center guard double team, we can get the tackle to kick somebody out and we can come down mainstream the B gap. Like that's it. Like uh, runs that don't runs that don't hit the B gap are so distinct that the version of power that hits the A gap is legitimately called a gap power <laughs> because it's just like stunning that it's not hitting the B gap. Right. The, there are a couple different ways to do this, to show a gap and then take it away. Some of it is changing the look with four guys in the front, right? This is stunting and twisting. This is, I think, a lot of what like OG Fangio stuff is, is running those those run game stunts with just your four guys, right? Nick Saban does this a ton at the college level. It's a big thing that's come to the NFL level in terms of of stunting the guys to take away gaps and to change who's in, who's in what responsibility. Uh, I think that some of the more modern guys, right? Some of the younger guys we transition to like Staley. Mike McDonald is definitely one of these guys. Yeah they take it away with with four plus, right? With like four plus a linebacker, four plus two linebackers, four plus a linebacker and a nickel. And and that's why you see all of a sudden like Jalen Ramsey's playing in the slot. Like Jalen Ramsey's the star for the, the Rams under Staley. He's now with Fangio and the Dolphins. He's going to be the star again. And it's just like, whoa, like Jalen Ramsey's playing the slot, baby. It's crazy. And it's like, why is he doing this? It's because they want that body. Six foot, 205, big fella. They want that athlete to be able to, to get involved in the box for them, right? They, they need to be able to, he has utility for them there in terms of adding that additional body to the run fit. They're not just going to put like a 5, 10, 180 pound nickel there anymore. So that problem, how can I present a gap and then take it away so I trick the offense into running bad runs? That problem right there is like, that's the modern issue for a defense coordinator because that's that's your first and 10 problem. You got different problems on third and three, on third and seven, on second and five. But your first and 10 problem is how can I get this extra body in pass coverage and then solve the issue with the running game up front? Like, that, like that'd be my first question if I were interviewing a DC as an owner. Yeah, and that's like, you know, that's uh, not a new problem necessarily, but I think the problem has gotten more complicated because QB run. Like uh, now all of a sudden yes. you have to add a gap to every run play. If there's it, like Jalen Hurts, it's not just let's, let's say Jalen Hurts lines up an empty and there's there's five offensive linemen, which means there's six run gaps. There's a gap outside the left tackles left shoulder. There's a gap between him and the left guard. There's a gap between the left guard and the center and so on. So there's six gaps. That means we just need to plug six run gaps. But now Jalen, it's Jalen Hurts back there. So he could run. You could run. Like yeah. You could pull Jason. Kelsey outside and he can run outside. So now that it's a six gap, you have to account for another body. And now it's like, okay, if we play too high, we're fitting with like, we're already down a guy and now they have a running quarterback. So we're down an extra guy, like theoretically. And we, now we got to really do some crazy shit to make up for it. And like, mm -hmm. that's what the game is. And that's what offense and defense has always been. There's a I'm referencing the, uh, the play college pod again, Another Robert Sala quote, he says, they're chasing space. He's referring to offenses. You can't defend all the space in the world because you only have 11. I'm, I'm saying this part. You only have 11 guys and the, the field is very wide, but you can move the space on them. And I think that's the key is like we present space one place before the snap. We're like, oh, look at this right. nice, juicy open A gap or open yeah, B on, gap. Come you can run Here through it. Come on. And then you call hike and then all of a sudden a linebacker, a neck roll linebacker is just plugging right. that gap and it's it's not there anymore. So I think mm -hmm. that's the nature of it's always going to be that. And uh, it just gets more complicated. And I think that's where we are. It's like just the game just keeps getting more complicated, especially on the defensive yeah. side of the and, ball. And and the only answer is to have answers. And this is the really cool feedback loop where like offense informs defense, which informs offense. So Shanahan and McVay are running outside zone play action. This is this is like every everything that Steve and I talk about for the rest of the time is going to start there, right? Defense is trying to solve the problem. Vic comes up with a solution, right? I'm going to run these these five man fronts, these six man fronts. I'm going to solve the, the 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 outside zone problem with these looks, right? And so. Defense will start to wisen up. Okay, there's ways to solve the zone running game. We can put a ton of bodies up there. We can also uh, mess around with with the gaps a little bit, right? We can change pictures in terms of who's going where and 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 mess up the communication that comes with zone run blocking, right? And so, what do you see a huge renaissance of across the league? Just power blocking, right? right. Let's get a line. Let's get a fullback. Let's get a tight end. And if they want to, uh, you know, sneak around and put a. a, a uh, a, a slanting, twisting, 280-pound guy who's kind of off balance in the B gap. All right, let's uproot him. Let's pick him up and move him with a double team, and let's let let's choose a gap and and put four bodies there and dominate that gap, dominate the point of attack. Shanahan was ahead of this curve. 
had right, used chick, yeah. understood how to get this done. McVeigh was a little bit behind it and was like, all right, I'm running duo, right? I'm running like zone, like I'm running power. That's not really power. I'm running like the zone blocking version of power. That's like a total bastardization of duo. And coaches listening to this will hate that, but whatever, it's fine. And that wasn't sufficient, right? They didn't solve the problem for him. And his running game falters behind and he has to now catch up, but Ben Skoranek at fullback for the first like six weeks <laughs> of the season because he's trying to, you know, come up with something here. So that like offense informed defense, defense found a solution and then defense changed now how offense runs the football. And now you got to be able to run gap. You got to be able to run power. You have to be able to run with the lead blocker because defense have a lot of solutions now for how to steal gaps and how to win against zone blocking. They've just seen it so much. So to put a bell on this segment here, I think one of the, like most crucial things to talk about when it comes to defense is on first and 10, you're trying to solve the run and solve the pass at the same time. And you just, you just can't. You just, you, you absolutely cannot. Like this is the third and final shout out to the athletic football show. No more athletic football show free advertising, but I, uh, uh, Deontay Lee, who's their excellent, excellent, uh, a writer and podcaster. He is a defense high school coach in California. Um, he was talking about defensive ball for them a couple of weeks ago. And he brought up the fact that like the solutions you need to solve the running pro- running game on defense and the solutions you need to solve the passing game on defense have never been further apart. Yeah. Yeah, so you yeah. should be able to just like four down, cover three. We've got like 80% of things covered. Four down, cover three has got like 55% of things covered at this point, man. Like you, the, the solutions you need to, to solve the running game are getting more specific. Quarterback run being a huge part of that problem. The solutions you need to solve the passing game are so much more specific. Spread and play action and motion being huge parts of those problems. It's just, it's really, really challenging to handle that full menu on first and 10. It goes back to that Robert Sala quote. There's too much space. So now we have to try to find a way to present space and then take it away, trick them into going to the wrong space. This is, uh, this, this is what I think where we're at. We're going to go away. Advertisers are going to talk to you about products that they're selling. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some of the new kids on the block and what they're doing well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick... From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. When I think of impactful, new, defensive minds, obviously Brandon Staley is the big name. And like the Staley moment for defense, I think people like expected it to be like as big as like the 11 personnel moment. And it wasn't, but it was still really big. Like this is like a huge, there's like a huge tectonic shift in how defense was played. It absolutely was. I also think about my, my son, D'Amico Ryans, my dad, the best coach in the entire NFL. No further questions. Uh, he was the DC of the Niners last few years. He's now the head coach of the Texans. I think about Mike McDonald, who I brought up, the current DC of the Ravens. Previously, he was with the University of Michigan, but he was a long time on the Ravens staff. And then I think of these Vic Fangio castoffs, right? I think about the, the branches of the budding Fangio tree that's trying to achieve that, which the Carroll tree kind of has achieved and really proliferate in, in, into a, a significant percentage of NFL defenses. Clint Hurt, who's the current Seahawks defensive coordinator, was a Fangio defensive line coach for a few years. Sean Desai was a Fangio secondary coach for a few years, has been the DC with the Bears, was a senior defensive assistant with the Seahawks, is now the DC of the Eagles. Jiro Evero was a safeties coach under Brandon Staley. He was the DC of the Broncos last year, was sick, and is now the DC of the Panthers. And then Joe Barry, you know, kind of a black sheep <laughs> of the family. Uh, who is a outside outside linebackers coach with Staley? Had a DC stint previously, and is now the DC of the Packers. Where's Ed Donatel? More Ed Donatel erasure. Oh my God! It's just it's just the guy can't get any respect. I 
What does the guy got to do? Have a top 30 defense or something? <laughs> you tell me right now where Ed Donatel is working. No, I'm, I'm joking. I don't care. He shouldn't be. He's on not. List. He's currently not employed by an NFL team. Just isn't. Just just kind of you know lay that one out for you. I'm actually offended that you brought up Joe Barry's name on this podcast too. That's another. I I can't mention the Fangio tree without acknowledging the fact that there is a withered branch of it, and that is whatever Joe Barry is attempting to do in Green Bay. Sean Desai's branch isn't isn't thriving either. Let's 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 point that listen, out. Listen, 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 listen. Welcome to Philadelphia Eagles defensive coach rehabilitation. All right. <laughs> are you are you a struggling defensive coach in need of a resume boost? Would you like to hang out with Hassan Reddick and Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and Josh Sweat and Darius Slay and James Bradbury? Would that be good for you? With this will help you produce a top eleven defense and it'll get your name in head coaching circles by NFL Insider articles by the end of December. Welcome to Philadelphia. It was like it, uh, like you know how all all the guys were going after Fangio to be their defensive coordinator. It's like the right. opposite. Like all the Fangio guys were going after this job to kind of like make themselves look better. Yeah, and it's funny because Fangio was a consultant with the Eagles last year. And I just wish the Eagles really just threw the bag at him. He's from Eastern Pennsylvania. Shout out East Strasburg University, baby. Hometown Uncle Vic Fangio. All right. These young guys. I, when when I looked at the young dudes on the offensive side of the ball, I had no question that some of those dudes were really impactful in terms of how offense is being played. Defensively, I, I have that question. Like, Staley emphatically matters. In terms of like how defense is played, he's been a big part of the ch- of of recent changes. The second best guy in that list is D'Amico, and like I love D'Amico. I'm not sure D'Amico's going to change much about how defense is played. Like D'Amico's running the Sala stuff, which is the the Seahawks stuff with a couple of iterations, and D'Amico's bringing a twist to it, which is that on third down, D'Amico's right, yeah, because it come for the throat. D'Amico, D'Amico, and we have us around. Third and seven, we ain't messing around with a four down rush now. We're, we're coming with heat. It, no, he's like, this is Sean McDermott uh, 10 years later. Like, Sean McDermott as a defensive coordinator in Carolina, that was his defense. Like, we were going to be sound on first down. We have this great defensive line. We have Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis who just kill everyone. Any screen, don't run a screen on us. And then we have like an okay secondary. Like, that's the 49ers defense. That is the formula. But yeah. on third down, hey, we're putting two guys in the A-gap. We're putting Luke mm-hmm. Keekley and Thomas Davis in the A-gap, and you got to figure out what they're doing. That was the 49ers defense. But I, I do think D'Amico, there were times, and like, there, it didn't happen often, but there were times when he threw, like, a game plan curveball at you. Like, I, I referenced the Packers playoff game. Like, what he did to take away Devontae Adams was, it wasn't the yeah. typical Seattle stuff. It was, like, a different style of game plan. So I think D'Amico does a good job of kind of straddling that philosophical spectrum that I kind of laid out where like you have the game plan guys on one end, you have the system guys on the other end. I think D'Amico's mm-hmm. definitely closer to the system guys, but I think he's more in that like 25 percentile range rather than like the zero percentile that Gus Bradley's in. Yeah, honestly, that's actually a good point. Like I, D'Amico's not going to push defensive football in terms of like bringing innovations that have previously been unthought of and changing the way a bunch of different coaches think about things. Yeah, but that's the thing is like, the guy that actually came to my mind when you were talking there was Zimmer, right? Like what, what, what did Zimmer do that was like distinct, that was characteristic? It was on third down. Yeah. Mike Zimmer was coming for you like like Zimmer was just waiting holding his breath muttering curses under his breath until he could get to third and seven at which point his eyes light up and he felt the joy of life again he was like all right seven on the line we're you know we're we're gonna change the way that 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 you you protect we're gonna we're gonna move your offensive line we're gonna make keep the back in and we're somehow gonna get a free rush out of this and we're gonna hit the quarterback that's the thing that D'Amico does super well he brings that aggressiveness to a, a defense a defensive coaching tray, Sala and Bradley and Carroll and whoever that doesn't necessarily do that as much on third down. The thing about D'Amico that I think makes him such a good coach, and I I like fully 100% believe in, in D'Amico's ability to turn the Texans around, not this year, but a year from now. The thing is, like, he's just an extremely smart guy. Like, he's he's good in the way that Belichick is good. He's good in the way that Zimmer is good. He's good in the way that Luana Rumo is good. We're like, he just knows how to get you in a in a tough spot and then win that tough spot. He's going to win late downs. He's going to win situational football so frequently, which is why he's a really good DC and he's going to be a really good head coach. So D'Amico, I think, yeah, not too much like schematically changing the league metas, but I still think he's one of the best DCs because he just has a great thumb on the pulse for how the how the game works. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what separates him from 
like even the the uh the Fangio offshoots, I felt like they like were a little too committed to the bit. And that was kind of their downfall. They never really adjusted and never found an answer. Right. Like in ways that I think Staley started to find answers last year. And in ways that Fangio really never had that problem. Because Fangio is the guy that obviously made the system. Uh, he knows how to fix it. I don't think I think these guys know how to coach it. I don't know if they necessarily know how to fix it. And I think that's the key to being a good defensive coach and being a good defensive coordinator. I we keep repeating this, but you have to have answers. I don't think those guys have as many answers as like say D'Amico Rhines, which why I like I'm not so confident that he's gonna be able to turn around the Texans and be a head coach is because of the podcast we did a couple weeks ago where that was the takeaway. We don't know, but like defensive coordinator, I guarantee you he's gonna be good at that for the rest of his life because of yeah. that that skill. I believe I believe in him. I believe in his ability to break the curse of 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 really good DCs who can't be good head coaches. I want to like define Staley as it is right now, Friday, July 14th. We're recording this a week early, 2023. At the end of the 2020 season, in which Staley was with the Rams, Staley was the Sean McVay identified whiz kid who can do defense in a way that's never been done before. And it's because he's putting two safeties back there and nobody's ever done this in history. And that's crazy. And that was probably a poor miscategorization. That was a miscategorization of Staley. Yes. At the end of the 2021 season with the Chargers, Staley was the guy who took the Chargers job and tried to run a bunch of the light box stuff and just got absolutely obliterated defensively. Didn't have the personnel for it. It was a first year head coach. He was like scrambling to get a foothold in the team, whatever. At the end of the 2022 season, like Staley's only been a head coach for two years. He's been a, a, a more than a coordinator, a coordinator plus for only three seasons. And there's like a large discourse and like, Staley's not a good coach. Staley isn't what we thought he was. Like, this guy's not it. Like, this, this is a snake oil salesman. He's not, he's not the thing. I, I first I just don't think that's fair, period. He's had three total years like call a unit, right? And he's dramatically changing what he does and trying to figure stuff out. The Chargers last year were eighth in blitz rate. He's all fire zone happen- too. Yeah, exactly. He in terms of sending extra guys, this after he got Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, which like I don't think Khalil necessarily delivered what they wanted. And obviously Joey was out for a big part of the year. And for Achenna Nuosu to leave and then be really good in Seattle sucks and is frustrating. But that's like he crumbles sometimes. So he had to solve problems with blitzing. But like the Staley that you and I saw in 2020, we watched the stuff and we were like, dude, this guy's got the goods. Like, this is unbelievable. Like that, that guy never would have we never would have thought he would have been like top quartile in the league and blitz rate, right? So there's like dynamic stuff there in terms of him trying to figure things out. If you look at at his like coverage rates, right? Like in terms of like quarters, they ran like a league average amount of quarters this year, right, which yeah. uh, like 2020, all we would have said was like, oh, like what's Staley doing? He's running quarters, he's running quarter, quarter, half, cover eight. Like all this stuff is incredible. Man coverage. The Chargers ran above average amount of man coverage last year. We would not have said that coming off 2022 or 2020, excuse me. So this is like, like Staley has changed a lot. And so I think it's fair to categorize what his impact was in 2020, how he changed defenses. We're going to stop the pass, the expense, stop in the run. We're going to run a lot more too high. I think he was a huge part of that change. But now as you look on him in 2022, with the changes that Staley has made, do you think that he's swinging back? Do you think he's just addressing his personnel and trying to solve the problems of his unique job as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers? Like what does Staley represent now for you when you think about defensive metas? I think he's a reactive pragmatic coach and like those are the guys that are on that end of the spectrum that game plan that changed their defense up from like he didn't necessarily need to do it a bunch in 2020 when he had Aaron Donald and he had Leonard Floyd and he had uh Jalen Ramsey he had all these guys he had Johnny Johnson like you didn't need to switch it up but still even in that season like week to week you saw little tweaks like it wasn't just the two high coverage stuff I know that was like the headline that was the the selling point with him but I thought the most impressive stuff was the things he did around those two high coverages to be able to play the two high coverages. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the stuff that's starting to translate and started to translate last year. And I think the problem is just like how we in America like judge coaches. Like we're just like you either win. You dropped it, uh, in America. Holy smokes. Uh, we as a people, we in, a, in this culture. 
I'm, I'm making a reference to the Austrians in the coffee house who are just res coach respecters because the guy's like philosophically influencing people. Like we don't have that in America. Like Mike, Mike D'Antoni, this is a different sport, NBA. Mike D'Antoni, everyone, you bring him up, he's a joke. It's like, oh, that guy fucking sucks. He's a fucking loser. He like just innovated basketball for like a decade <laughs> and everyone treats him as a joke, but he doesn't get respect Yeah, where's he the ring, win. Steven? Where's the ring? That's, it's just so frustrating. But I think the same thing is happening with Staley. Like Staley has clearly influenced the league. He hasn't won anything with the Chargers, and he kind of looked like an idiot at, at some time, like at some points. Mm -hmm. Like last year, he blew like one of the biggest leads in playoff history. But who cares? Like, I mean, it sucks <laughs> for the Chargers, but for but for our purposes, I mean, the stuff he's do, doing is still pretty fucking cool. And like we like we can get excited about it. Would you know. rather as like, your head like coach? here's another example? Like okay. Kyle Shanahan. People think Kyle Shanahan is like a bad head coach because of like the 2016 Super Bowl with the Falcons. Why do you think they were in that Super Bowl? So who would you rather have as a head coach? An innovator or a winner? You, there's no way of knowing you're getting a winner. <laughs> Yes. No, just hire a proven winner. Uh, like, uh, who's won a Super Bowl? Mike yeah, McCarthy. but then they don't win Mike McCarthy is a winner. <laughs> right, but yeah. My, he's got the ring, right? And that's 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 what it is, right? Like, McCarthy... Like, like McCarthy... I don't know how we got on Mike McCarthy. It's my fault we got on Mike McCarthy. But McCarthy won a Super Bowl with the Packers. And then was fired by the Packers. And then the Cowboys hired him. And what did McCarthy do in the on the season where he was he was gone, right? Where he didn't have a job. <laughs> he tried to brand himself as an innovator, right? He got a PFF yeah. account. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, he was like, I'm studying film and I talk to analytics guys now and I went to PFF. That's the, pretty cool. You think he used a promo code? He used PFF, <laughs> promo code who's, Seth. Who's, who's promo code McCarthy used when he signed up for PFF Edge? Is That's that's reporting right there. That's journalism. Now, he tried to brand himself as an innovator and he goes and, and, and the Cowboys hire him and when the Cowboys hire him, they're like, because yeah, innovation, man, like like he's, 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 a, he's a proven winner, but look at all the changes that he's made. And then he, he goes and just does the same old McCarthy stuff. And it's like, no, you you hired him because he was at one point a championship head coach and you wanted a championship head coach. Like that was the whole logic there. You hired him because he was a winner. And you're right. Like winning doesn't predict winning as well as innovation, intelligence, like good football coaching predicts winning in the aggregate, right? Obviously in Brandon Staley's case, he has coached better than his record would suggest. So it's not predicting it well, but I think overall it does. That's why like I, I remember jokingly last year on one of the pods, we said the wins are not a team stat. Right, we we're like, what is it? Win like the, the the Falcons are five and four. What does that mean? Wins are not a team stat. Don't worry about it. Winning does not predict winning as well as we would like it to in the NFL. That's why power rankings are an interesting thing, right? That's why DVOA matters. That's like the, these statistics exist in these these pieces of content, like power rankings exist because we know that just records, just win loss records, are incomplete. Anybody who covered or was a fan of the Minnesota Vikings last year understands this. We we're all watching that going. That's not real. That's fake. That's made up, right? So I think like that as a defense of Staley is fine. What I will say is this. Being five years ahead of the defensive coaching curve in terms of like what to do and how to do it does not benefit Staley in terms of like doing his coaching job or doing job security. Like I'll, I'll frame it to you this way. Staley in every like when he was the DC of the Rams in 2020 and when he's been the head coach of the, of the Chargers the last two years has had to like, teach his players what to do. Five years from now, the castoffs of the Staley system will go to different defenses and they'll have defensive coordinators who are no Vic Fangio stuff and they will know what to do. They'll already technique wise know how to play a gap and a half, know what it means, know what it looks like, know how to get away with it. Like they they. When you innovate, like you, you, you are like on a frontier. You are coming up over a hill, and like it is a bit of an uphill slog in terms of changing the way your defensive players think about and look at the game, right? Like, like you take Khalil Mack, who's like an eight-plus-year NFL veteran. You're like, use your eyes differently, use your hips differently, angle your feet differently, use your hands differently. You can train Mack on that for as much as you like in August. When the bullets are live in November, he's going to go back to what he knows, and that's where I think you start to struggle as like okay, I'm a guy who's bringing a lot of new stuff and I'm, I'm changing the way we think about football. But you're going to meet internal resistance. You're going to, like, there's going to be learning curves that you're going to have to handle and that's going to slow you down. And your, your, your challenge is to hold on to the job for long enough to retain, to, to be the head coach of the Charger for long enough and, and, and convince the Spanos family that it's fine long enough to get your team over that hill. And I think Staley's close. I think it's going to be a great year for the Chargers. I think firing Joe Lombardi and hiring Kelly Moore was a great step in that direction. But that is one of the issues with like, 
these young like defense coaches who are innovating, you do need a long leash to kind of get your system working and get it off the ground. Yeah, and I think maybe we get too hung up on the innovation, like what actually comes out of it, like the too high thing. I think it's the fact that you are able, you have the capacity to innovate and like change yourself on the move. That's really like what you're looking for. That was really Belichick's, like the secret to his success was being able to change. It wasn't like, oh, I came up with this one style of defense and we're just going to play that and drill it into people's heads. I think we're starting to see that with Staley. And I think that's why I'm more optimistic about him going forward than maybe most people are in the public. But uh, like the stuff you just covered with him, like the changes he's made, those were answers to problems that he, that they had and they worked. Like we have yeah. now seen two iterations of this defense be successful. I know like the Chargers didn't win anything last year. They didn't win anything in 2020 really, but they were the best defense over the course of a season last year. They were one of the better defenses, especially against the pass over the second half of the season. And that's a big reason why they made the playoffs. Like the offense wasn't that good. It was, it wasn't as good as it should have been. We can, we all know that the running game stunk was the worst in the NFL. Probably. They made the playoffs. Like, I know it ended poorly, but they made the playoffs. They won 10 games, and they did it because the changes that he made in the second half. Like, he brought a very injured team, one of the most injured teams last year with a bunch of stars going down. He brought that team to the playoffs, and a part of it was the changes he made over the second half of the season. That's more impressive to me than whatever he did in 2020 and all the too high stuff. Because And he mm-hmm. did it without those, those, those if you want to call it gimmicks, that I'll use that word just because I can't think of a better one. But he wasn't using the stuff that got him popular, that got his name out into into like the discussions we're having right now. Yeah. The um, when I think back on like defensive moments in the 2022 season, I will think about that back to back set of weeks where the Dolphins played the Niners and then the Chargers, and the Niners said. Cute offense. We have Fred Warner. <laughs> Sucks, doesn't it? Uh, and then the the Niners Stevens did a great job against the Dolphins, right? They gave up a 75 yard touchdown in the first play of the game, and there were lights out every game, every play after. And then the next week was the Chargers, and it was Brandon Staley, and they don't they don't have a Fred Warner over there. They had Drew Tranquil and Kenneth Murray, <laughs> which is about like which is directly the opposite of having a Fred Warner. And it was okay. Is Staley going to be able to find a way to achieve that which D'Amico achieved schematically? without having the personnel that makes the entire 49ers defense work. And that's not an exaggeration. The entire 49ers defense was predicated on the fact that they have Fred Warner and nobody else does. And Staley did. Staley found ways to get safeties to solve that problem. Say so he found ways to get press corners and, and then use Michael Davis. And he he achieved that which D'Amico did without like the, the queen on the chessboard that D'Amico had. And it was like, holy smokes. That's that's what St- that's what Staley is about. Is like this one week curated game plan it's just so good from him. It's like him and Belichick and, and, and him, Belichick and Lou with the Bengals, where it's just if you if you had to win one playoff game, if you had to stop one playoff caliber offense. Those one you'd, you'd want one of those three guys with, with, a, with a random assortment of 11 defensive players. You'd want one of those three guys to, to, to stop that playoff offense. It's the ability to curate that one game plan, and get that one off. That's so impressive. And then the like the very next week, the Dolphins played the Bills with all the talent in the world defensively. And the Bills just lined up and played their same old stuff and just got hosed and then played mm-hmm. them in the playoffs and gave up 34 points to Skyler Thompson. And then Leslie Frazier was out of a job. And that's kind of where you're at defensive meta wise. How well can you curate a game plan for this Sunday? Because if you are lined up and play, you get beat in this league. Like you, 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 you can beat a lot of good to bad, like to middle to bad offenses if you line up and play in your elite. Like the Eagles with John Gannon, man, you can beat. 31 of the 32 offenses in this league when you're lined up and playing, you have stars. But then you run into the, the teams that you run into in January and February. You run into a Patrick Mahomes and you if you try to line up and play, you better score 40 on the other side of the ball because you ain't stopping nobody. And that's that's where defense is at. It's that curated right. game plan. And that's what that's what I think, yeah. I think that's what the modern Staley represents. I think what, but where Staley has to kind of like fill in the gaps for himself is like the non-curated stuff. Like playing a, an average right. offense and and making them look terrible. Like he was right. able to do that with Aaron Donald because Aaron Donald and, and Jalen Ramsey and all those guys just like destroyed worse players. But now I think that's where you're finding him struggled to find consistency. But I, I do yeah. think we started to see that change. Like they were a very good they 
the second half of last year, they played a bunch of bad uh, offenses and a bunch of good offenses. It was like either or they were playing either the the Chiefs or they were playing uh, Jeff Saturday's Colts. And they played well against all of them. So I think we're starting to see that. I want to see what it looks like over the full course of the season and whether like the lessons he learned last year and the changes he made apply to this year and whether that what we get out of that. Like, do we get like a hybrid of that 2020 year and last year or do we get something completely different? But I, I'm i willing to go out on a limb and say Brandon Staley's a good coach. And I would hire him if I if I was looking to hire a defensive coach, especially. I feel like is Brandon Staley a good coach? Question mark is the title for another pod, a later pod, not this pod, because this pod is over. This has been our two part series on kind of where offense is at, where defense is at, where offense is going and where defense is going. We will be back uh, next Friday, we think, because training camps are starting. Schedules are starting to get a little bit tricky. We have still some airtime to fill. So expect to see us back. Next Friday, the schedule might get a little bit more erratic than it has been, just as Stephen and I are traveling we're on the road. But if you subscribe and review, then you will always know when the next pod is. If you, re- if you leave a review, a little known fact, then when a new pod drops, you will divine it. It, will, it intuitively will come to your mind and you will know that it's there. Sixth sense. So review. Never Only if a it's pod. a good review. Only if it's a good review. If it's bad, then... No, if it... Yeah, no, only if it's good. Leave good reviews. Uh, be sure to thank... Producer Carlos Chiriboga, who stepped in this week for Eduardo Ocampo. We appreciate it, Carlos. Thank you, as always, to Arjuna Ramkapol and Connor Nevins for their additional production supervision. Thank you to Steven. We will catch all of you next week. 